Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Action Network Podcast. Are you going to place a bet or what? Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. This is our expert's guide to betting series, UFC edition. I'm your host, Maria Marino, joined by two UFC betting experts here at Action Network, predictive analyst and former fighter, Billy Ward, as well as our projections kingpin, Sean Zarillo. Sean and Billy can also be heard every Friday breaking down fight cards on our UFC betting preview episodes right here on the Action Network podcast. Billy, I'm going to start with you here. I want to find out the expertise of both of you and what makes you qualified to bet UFC. But because you are a former MMA fighter, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into that? Yeah, you know, fairly typical athletic background as a kid. I played basketball, football, baseball. Basketball was my big thing, but I realized that wasn't going to continue on into adulthood or college Didn't have, for a lot of reasons. And my senior year of high school, just found a local MMA gym and started training there. Took a few amateur fights. It kind of started out as something I just wanted to try, and then it went fairly well. And you just kind of keep doing it. Next thing you know, you're signing a professional fight in two, three, four, and here you are. Next thing you know, I feel like that's not the experience of most people, but we'll take it. And then how did you sort of uh, cross over into the betting space? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're out at the bar with your buddies watching fights or, you know, sitting in the audience of some local fights, we're always betting on who we think is going to win, even if it's just a dollar with your friend based on the walkouts. And then what actually got me into it, especially as DFS became so big, is once they offered UFC DFS, I thought that would be somewhere I had a big edge. I already always played fantasy football and fantasy sports, but obviously having the fighter background, I thought that would be more my lane. And then here in Michigan, we got legalized sports betting in 2021, and that's when it really took off for me. I've been basically betting almost every UFC card ever since. Sean, uh, we know you're also an expert in MLB. Had you on that expert's guide to betting podcast, but tell us about the uh, UFC side of things for you. Yeah, I became a fan of MMA and the UFC after the Ultimate Fighter won. I pretty much watched that whole season. They're now at season 30, which seems crazy to say, but, uh, you know, Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner, that original fight, still one of my favorite fights ever and something that will stick in my memory forever, but sort of fell away from the sport for a little bit, came back to it, uh, you know, as I got older and then really took it much more seriously. Once the pandemic hit and the UFC was the first 
sport back going other than horse racing. Uh, but in terms of wanting to bet on it and betting on it more seriously, other than just having casually bet on it previously, I wanted to figure out a way if we could quantify something that seems completely unquantifiable. Because with all of the predictive data that we have for being able to quantify a sport like baseball or even you know sports like football or basketball, the idea that you could quantify something where two people are punching each other in the face or trying to snap limbs off of one another seemed like it might be a challenge for me. Uh, and I, you know, I developed a process to try to take publicly available predictive data. So data that fans of the sport are putting in, but starting with the hypothesis or assumption that the public is generally wrong, going against the public and going against those public assumptions. And, you know, the more that I've repeated this process, it actually is fairly easy to see for me when it's going to be the public is heavily on an underdog or heavily on a favorite. And it's very apparent that I'm going to be on the other side, but sort of, you know, kept a other than one alteration have kept a pretty consistent process since uh, June 2020, which is when bet tracking came for UFC into the Action Network app. I've returned a 45% win rate and a 3.3% ROI in the Action app across more than 1,000 bets. So a decent sample of bets, a ton of which have been a plus money, a lot of props, things like that. But, you know, I, I basically just assume that all of these fights beyond the squash matches are closer to 50-50 and betting on a lot of underdogs has paid off. So it's been fun to, you know, introduce math into something that I think is very hard to quantify and and see it pay off over, you know, a decent sample of bets. And before we jump on, just to piggyback what Sean said a little bit, I have a math degree as well. And before talking to him and doing this podcast, I would have said this is probably an impossible sport to quantify or use data to beat just knowing what I knew about the two things. So having that having that example that he's set of a way to take a data-driven approach and then being able to blend in what I know about the sport and the fighting itself is, I think, a good mix for both of us. And I just can't say how impressed I am by quantifying, as he put it, two people punching each other in the face. <laughs> a lot hard, you know, I do some baseball stuff too, and that is, it's pure numbers. You don't need to know how the sport works. So it's just such an extreme difference between the approach to those two things. And I, I think we got a really good combination here of how we've been able to blend those skills. Yeah, you know, I talk a lot on the MLB podcast about blending scouting and data analysis. And again, like didn't think it was something that would be possible for MMA, a sport which seems like it should be 99% scouting. But even if baseball is 80-20 data analysis and scouting, if we can make MMA, you know, 80-20 scouting and data analysis, I think that's enough to maybe find an edge. And, and before doing this, the closest I had, come to experiencing anything like that there's a book called fightnomics and it's really just trends right so it's the age gap stat that you know sean likes to quote all the time or the shorter height but longer reach that i quote that book did a lot of that kind of stuff but it's not projecting out as we go forward so sean definitely took it to the next level hopefully you can uh, steal the name and write fightnomics too at some point in the <laughs> anyone who wants to read it all right well i'm already in awe of both of you but let's talk about any regular listener out there, a uh, casual fan of UFC, if they were to attempt to become good at betting this sport, where would you tell them to start, Billy? Yeah, you know, I've I've read a lot of stuff, and especially in the DFS and betting space, that they say it's almost detrimental to watch the games if it's, you know, football, basketball, or whatever, because our brains are so bad at processing that small sample size information. 
And I would say the UFC is the total opposite. This is probably the one sport that just by regularly watching it for a little while, you'll probably pick up on some stuff that the market is missing. You'll probably notice some trends or notice some patterns. You know, you get to know the fight teams and the coaches and all those kind of things. That's the biggest one, I think, for especially like the not hardcore fan who's not already doing that. And then for the hardcore fan, I think it's really just familiarizing yourself with all the ways that there are to bet on the UFC. Because it's not just pick who's going to win or, you know, just pick the time. There's times and methods and we're getting more and more props of all different types. So if you're already a hardcore fan and you might say to your buddy, like, man, someone's getting knocked out in this one. I don't know who it is. You can bet on that. You don't have to know who it is. That's an option. So that's the big thing, I think, when I talk to my fight fan friends who aren't really gamblers, it's like pretty much any opinion you have, you can bet on. And if you're going to be fairly sharp with that, which I think some of them are, just realizing what's out there on the menu is the big thing for the hardcore fan. I think Billy hit the nail on the head with the fact that the more you watch fights, the better you're going to get at it. And I don't think watching a lot of baseball or watching a lot of football is necessarily going to make you better at betting on those sports. But watching a lot of MMA has really helped me. It's the familiarity with all of the camps, all of the coaches, knowing which camps are more likely to help their fighters improve and keeping notes not only before fights, but also after the fights as to what your impressions were of their strengths or weaknesses. But I really think it is much more of a video-driven, tape-driven, scouting-driven type of analysis. That's why I've taken a different approach is because that's all anyone is able to do is watch the tape. When you're watching the NFL, your team is playing next week or two weeks later at most. And if you're watching baseball, it's tomorrow. These guys might be four or five, six months, even over a year with some of them. And I need to be better about that because, Sean, you've reminded me of stuff of some guy that hasn't fought in 14 months. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did have that impression. So doing that and then organizing it in a way that you can find it the next time they fight, which is who knows, right? We don't know when the next one's going to be. I think it's much more crucial than a sport where you're seeing the same teams and the same players every week or two at most. You don't have to bet while you're doing all this, by the way. Like, you should be doing all of the things we said before you make your first serious bet. If you want to bet a dollar or whatever just for your own tracking purposes, that's one thing. But, you know, get yourself familiar and get comfortable with it and with some of the pillars like we're going to talk about. Right. It's like before you take an exam, you have to have a way to review. So to be able to go back and look at those notes when there's been so much time that has passed uh, from fight to fight has got to be helpful. What other rules or just basic pillars would you recommend we know, Billy? I think the biggest thing, at least for me, is that so much of the game is figuring out improvements or declines in a fighter's skill set partially because of that gap that we're talking about and how frequently they compete. So, you know, it's not just age. Sean does a good job in a lot of our podcasts of pointing out trends where heavier fighters can age a little bit better than lighter fighters based on their weight class. Or, you know, fighters who are really good athletes coming over from another combat sport, but less time in the game, they probably have a higher ceiling and are going to continue to improve in a way that a guy who's been just an MMA fighter for 10 years isn't, even if that person's younger. So just understanding that we're trying to figure out not how good they have been, but how good they will be. And that varies a lot more than it does in other sports. And then there's some of the obvious ones we talk about that aren't really, they're not rules in the strictest sense of the word, but usual trends. We don't like to bet on retiring fighters, even though Sean just hit a big one on a retiring fighter last week. Uh, always bet cardio is the other one I referenced earlier. 
shorter fighters with longer reach, just the more of those you can have in your brain. And then also knowing how to calibrate that, right? Because none of those are 100% accurate. You're never going to get that every time. But the more of those you can weigh in versus what you see on the video and in your notes, just the more success you're going to have. Sean, what would you say is uniquely challenging about betting UFC? I think it's the sport where recency bias is the strongest. And you really can't, it's it's very difficult to judge classes, class levels of fighters relative to one another. Uh, uh, frankly, and I, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but the closest sport I have to judge it to is horse racing, where you're judging a big class jump or a big class decline. You, you know, you may have somebody going from fighting a top 15 level fighter in their division in the world, and then they lose and then they're dropping down and taking on a prospect that has never faced UFC level competition and has only faced fighters on the regional scene, taking a big step up for the first time. So judging the clash of skill sets where one guy is jumping down in competition, one guy's jumping up, can be really difficult to analyze what the strengths and weaknesses are. You know, you may see things on tape that you're evaluating as strengths and weaknesses, but how do you evaluate that relative to drastically different types of competition. So I think that can make it difficult. Obviously styles make fights. It's important to know what archetype of fighter you have in front of you, you know, always kind of favor grappling fighters because they're able to look more dominant than strikers are. But the level of competition thing, I think is so crucial and so difficult to evaluate. Uh, and then beyond that too, it's a one versus one sport, right? So if you're playing a team sport, hockey, you're having an off night on the ice, your teammates are probably going to hide that down performance to a significant degree. You know, your defense might be able to play okay and sort of your goalie can play okay and sort of hide that you're playing poorly, turning over the puck, et cetera. But if you're not doing well, if you're off your game in a fight, it's going to be very apparent. So sometimes you're just going to miss because the fighter that you bet on isn't having the best day. And I'm sure Billy can speak to that much better than I can, but I'm sure going into some fights, he felt much differently than he did going into others, you know, going for a takedown and you just don't feel like it's there for you. You know, legs feel a little bit rubbery or what have you. And we've seen UFC fighters like Aljamain Sterling talk about things like that, where just didn't feel the same as he normally did in his first fight against Piotr Jan. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a one versus one sport, which makes it tough, but it's it's the the factor that you have to evaluate class level from fight to fight, I think makes it really difficult. Yeah. And Billy, how do you evaluate that from an outsider looking in and and any thoughts on how uh handicapping UFC is is just different than traditional boxing? Yeah, and mostly you know, Sean touched on this a little bit with the styles, but we don't know what type of fight these guys want to have when they go out there like and i know people who are more in the weeds with boxing will come out and say like well yeah there's different game plans in that but it's still we're kind of just punching each other in boxing right so if you're a ufc fighter or mma fighter are you going to try to grapple is your plan to shove them against the fence and hold them there and what sean and i think your strength and what your plan should be that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you think it is and sometimes, even if you or your coaches think that's what it is, you might just get too excited and want to throw bombs out there. So I think that's that's one of the bigger challenges relative to boxing and especially team sports, or I guess it's almost similar to team sports with coaching decisions. But we can think we know that Fighter X has a huge advantage in this area, but we don't really know if they're going to use that. So 
we're not only evaluating their athletic ability, we're evaluating the psychology behind it, whether we think being in front of a home crowd is going to get them too hyped up so they go out there and want to have a fun fight more than win. That kind of stuff, I think, is very different, partially because, as Sean pointed out, it's one-on-one. So if the left guard for the Eagles gets really hyped up before a football game, we're not going to notice that the way we would with the UFC fighter, who is the whole team. Well, as far as the things that are more concrete, you know, the data points that you could potentially use, what are the most important resources, Sean, that are out there, if any, to (laughs) help you better uh, predict how this type of sport is going to go? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned before, there are publicly available data sources where people do predict fights. If you go on Tapology. Uh, sure dog. That's where you'll find fighters records, their record history, their percentage of finishes, you know, how all of their fights ended. But Tapology actually does have uh, a tool that allows people to predict fights. And generally speaking, there's actually a pretty sufficient data sample in terms of the number of predictions on those fights, even for these lower level cards, like you get at the UFC apex, there's still over a thousand predictions on these fights. And it's breaking it down into decisions, knockouts and submissions for each fighter. I'm mostly trying to tick take that predictive data on its head and assume to a degree that the public is wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't think those percentages are invaluable to look at because I think largely speaking, when you take those percentages and, you know, you take a percentage of each fighter's win condition, right? So you, if you assume that the betting market is correct, say the betting market makes the fight 50, 50 and is minus minus one ten on each side, Well, if you look at the percentage of knockout predictions or submission predictions or decision predictions for either fighter on topology, the pro and, you know, multiply that percentage by the 52% win probability or 50% win probability that the betting market is giving you, you can actually see roughly where the prop market for each of those props should be. So finding tools where people are predicting fight outcomes, I actually think are valuable data, more so for prop betting and seeing roughly what they think the percentage chance of a decision versus knockout versus submission is for either fighter. So comparing that data, I think could be valuable. But as Billy and I talked about earlier, watching the fights is going to be your best friend. So YouTube for regional fights, ESPN plus UFC fight pass for UFC fights or UFC branded regional fights. Those are all going to be the things that you spend the most time with is, is watching tape and you're, you know, it's for a minimal cost. You can uh, do a a pretty good job of being able to access any fight that you would need. And I guess that's um, more advisable than just walking down to the neighborhood bar that might be, you know, airing the fight on, on pay-per-view probably not, not as easy to, you know, really follow and pay attention. Billy, can you just describe an ideal betting opportunity heading into a fight. Yeah, I think for me, it's and it relates to what Sean was saying, is a prospect that for some reason or another, I feel like I have more information on than the market. Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I've been on both sides of that. But, and for me, often it's because I either know the person, like I trained with them at one point way back when, or their camp, or know somebody who knows somebody about them that probably isn't baked into the market. Because at the end of the day, we're not, trying to predict fights we're trying to say when we think the market is wrong or when we think we're off the market by x amount 
and there's no better time to do that with them when you have some information that somebody else doesn't have. So it happened. It happens less and less as I'm getting older and farther away from the game. But for me, there's a couple times I knew Jamal Hill, the current light heavyweight champ, pretty well in our regional days. We fought on some of the same cards, and I have bet him in every one of his UFC fights. We're now at the point he's the UFC light heavyweight champion. I'm not saying anything that other people don't know at this point. So having those not broadly applicable to most people listening to this, unless you also fought professionally or trained with guys who did. But that that is it for me as someone I just know from local regional scenes and the market doesn't know what I do about them. Understanding where you can find uh, an edge as far as where the market is wrong is great because if you don't know who's going to win the fight, you can at least still attack it from a prop perspective. Sean touched on this a little bit, but what do you make of the prop market? It's interesting because I feel like we're just scratching the surface with the prop market, MMA betting in general. It's It's been huge. Sean is an expert at finding very specific bets. Our friends at FanDuel have done an awesome job with the split round props that I really like, where if I think you know, it's going to take a long time, but I'm not trying to pick exactly what round or exactly when. So it's definitely been a huge edge. I'd love to see specific stat prop markets pop up the way we have player props and other sports. But outside of that, it's just knowing what all your options are and keeping up with when they add new ones, because I think those split rounds are fairly new. We're starting to see spreads come up as an option, which is pretty new. So just keeping up on all of those options and trying to match them to your opinions on the fight is important. I think props in MMA give you sometimes more optimal way to bet on fighters. Now, sometimes it could backfire on you like uh, at UFC 290. I bet Alexander Prantosia inside the distance and probably could have just taken his money line, which I also showed an edge on and been happy and been profitable. Uh, But, you know, sometimes it can feel like you get too cute. But I think a lot of the time, more of the fighters win condition should be weighted towards a particular prop than it is. And I think you can find more value betting on specific winning method props or specific round props than you can just taking a money liner. I think there might be instances where, uh, you know, it's, we'll talk about live betting, but where it's not worth taking a fighter pre-fight where one fighter is clearly worth betting pre-fight because they're likely to win in round one and you should just be taking their round one prop as opposed to their money line. So uh, one ideal betting opportunity, I just want to back up one question too that Billy and I both like, and we've talked about quite a bit lately, is fights that are heavily favored to go to a decision or at least moderately favored to go to a decision, at least I'd say minus 200 or better to go to a decision. When there is a very big underdog in a fight that is likely to go to a decision, that is more often than not an underdog that I want to back just because judging an MMA is so bizarre. And when fights are expected to go 15 minutes, it means that it's probably close enough that weird things might happen or that the fighter is likely enough to be competitive and should not be that big of an underdog. So I think that often is an ideal live betting opportunity. In addition to fighters who have the grappling upside of plus money, those are two angles that I'm always going to look for. So yeah, uh, you know, prop betting, I think you can just find more value sometimes than the money line, but there's also a few pre-fight angles that typically speaking, I am looking to take underdogs on the money line. And to add on to Sean with the props, he does a really good job of getting longer odds or more specific with props, but you can play it the other way too. If you think this fight's going to be close, take the round over. You, It might not be as good of odds as someone to win in round three, but you can kind of calibrate that to your risk tolerance to an extent where 
if you want to take big swings for a little bit of money, go ahead and pick specific rounds. Or if you want, you know, to have a better chance of winning, but less payout, there's ways to do that too. So it gives you some optionality there with how confident you are in your opinion and, or how much you want to risk it. Billy, how do you approach live betting UFC? Yeah, I mean, this is a big topic for both of us. And I have to say, I wasn't a huge live better until Sean started convincing me that it's probably the way to go in a lot of places. But the, the biggest thing I think people need to realize is it's the only sport where you don't know the score, right? So after every round, the judges have written down who they thought won. But outside of rare instances in certain states, that's not public. So the biggest thing, if you want to start getting into the live betting game, is just figure out the judging criteria figure it out a little bit better than the sports books, the algorithms. And we see it all the time, a fight that's one, one headed into the third or two, two headed into the fifth by, you know, what we think as a fan and one fighter is a heavy underdog. So unless he was totally out of gas or about to get beat up at the end of the round, that's a pretty obvious opportunity. And obviously there's some cardio stuff that Sean's going to talk about that that's his angle, but just getting as good at judging fights you can and not judging who you think won, but judging who you think the judges won, because those can be very different and it's tricky. And that's why there's a Twitter controversy every time there's a split decision, no matter who gets it. But accept that who you want to have gotten the round isn't necessarily who the judges think did. Once you start thinking like them, you'll find some opportunities that the sports books miss. Sean, what about this cardio angle? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think as somebody who does not have the technical fighting knowledge that Billy has or has never competed in the sport itself, because, you know, I played baseball growing up. So at least I have knowledge of how the game of baseball works, uh, but I've never trained in MMA. But one thing that I think anybody is capable of seeing, even if you've never fought, is cardio. And it's very obvious when fighters slow down late in fights or are able to maintain their pace throughout a 15 minute fight or a 25 minute fight. I think if you're just a general sports fan, I think cardio is very apparent. It's easy to see when people slow down. And it's also very noticeable when fighters slow down when the pace hasn't been particularly high in a fight. And that's the fighters that I really want to bet against are the ones who are in sort of moderately paced fights and they're slowing down regardless. And oftentimes those fighters tend to be fighters who finish their opponents in round one. So those fighters are the perfect archetype to bet against after the first round. You're avoiding the danger of them potentially beating you on a money line in round one, and then you're betting your fighter after they've likely lost the first round at a better price than you're getting pre-fight as they're coming into their likelier win condition. I've been giving out live bets pre-fight on UFC for, I'd say, over two years now. <laughs> I need to go back and track what my actual win rate is, but I, I would guarantee you it's around mm. 66%. And most of it is at plus money. Cardio is the king of betting MMA. I'm always going to bet on the fighter with better cardio, unless the skill discrepancy is extreme elsewhere. I think it's the biggest edge in sports. And open scoring would destroy that because as Billy said, it's the one fight or it's the one sport where we do not know and the fighters do not know what the score is. But most importantly, the sports books also don't know what the score is. So sometimes after round one, if it's close or after round two, if the fight has been close, you can get plus money on one side on one fighter and plus money on the other side 
on the other fighter. And it's an easy arbitrage opportunity. Generally not something I even do, but if that is how you want to bet it, that is available too. But to all of that, it is also the sport where you probably have the least time to make a live bet. Right. So there's, there's no halftime. There's no quarter breaks. You've got uh-huh. a minute fast frequently. And we've talked about this on the podcast too. We'll be trying to listen to what the corner men are saying before we even make the bet or look at the guy's body language in the corner. And that eats up 30 seconds of that. So it really helps to go in with a plan. If we know we've got a guy who's got huge power and he swings for the fences, he's probably going to be the one who gets tired. So if he, you know, lands a couple of those shots, but doesn't finish his opponent, you need to come in with a plan, not try to read and react as it goes, because you really only have a minute. And while the books leave the lines up during the rounds, I am really hesitant about those just because of the lag that we know happens with what we're seeing on TV with what really happens. I'll track the live line sometimes and I'll see it drop on a fighter and know that they're going to land a big shot when I see it on TV five seconds later. So unless you're in the, unless you're in the arena watching it, I would really avoid betting it during the round. So be fast, but you got to focus on that one minute window in between rounds. The last thing I want to emphasize is that the way judging has changed in the past year to two years relative to previous MMA scoring. If you're just getting back into betting on MMA, judges are much more likely to not count or not give any credit to top time if the fighter isn't doing anything with it. If you land a takedown, hold it for two minutes, but you don't land a single strike, it almost as if it didn't happen anymore. Some judges will still count it, But by and large, if that's all you're doing with the takedown, it doesn't matter. The other fighter pops back up, lands a couple of strikes. They're going to give that round to the fighter who landed strike. So look for those fights where one fighter might be getting takedowns, but isn't really doing anything with it. Generally speaking, I'd go the other way. And and I would love it on that topic if we could go back and rejudge some of my early fights when I was uh, getting wrestled to death, but the guys weren't doing anything. So I'm going to go back and claim a couple couple of old amateur wins or a couple of amateur losses. I'm going to go back and flip with my 2023 judging criteria eyes. I like how you slip that in there. Listen, um, so many great tips by the both of you, but let's end on this. What is the ultimate thrill betting a UFC fight? Sean, start with you. Oh man. Um, you know, I really think hitting those exact round props is about as good as it gets when you bet the fighter to win in round one, especially when you get like a plus 900 or something like that and they actually cash it or you're hitting that round two and round three props at plus 1200 and plus 1800 respectively and hoping that one of them hits and it does. I think that's as good as it gets predicting the exact round that the fighter is going to win. It's funny when the fighters predict free, you know, pre-fight, I'm going to win by knockout in round two and they actually do it. So being able to make money off of an assumption that you have in that direction pre-fight is, it's about as fun as it gets for me. Yeah, I would say it's, and this is another thing that's unique to the UFC, is your fighter can be losing for 14 minutes and 59 seconds and land a big punch at the end and steal it at the end. So those are the highest highs for me. You know, if you're watching a team sport, it's a gradual comeback. Oh, they're one run away. They're three runs away, two runs away, one runs away. You can just be getting dominated the whole fight down on every judge's scorecard every round, but it just takes one moment. And it's what makes the sport great, but it's also what makes gambling on the sport great. And it's also what makes betting on the sport terrible because you're going to have them go for you and against you. And you just got to know that it's going to even out in the long run. But those are my favorite moments when you've kind of already mentally written off the bet as a loss. There's been some that I've actually on my spreadsheet already marked down as a loss 
And then with a few seconds left, it gets saved. So that's the big one for me. And the in arena sweat, I believe, is better than any other sport for me personally, too. Uh, having bets on UFC fights when you're in the arena, I don't think any yeah. other, anything else compares to that in person. That's got to be amazing. It was certainly amazing to me uh, to listen to you guys. Once again, Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. You can find them on Twitter, of course, but definitely follow in the action app because that's where you're going to find out if you're sort of on track with what you're betting you can uh, compare it to what they're doing. And also, it's just a great way to keep track of everything that you have going on. Uh, as a reminder, Sean and Billy can also be heard every Friday breaking down fight cards on our UFC betting preview episodes. That's right here on the Action Network podcast. Guys, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having us. Once again, I'm Maria Marino, and keep an eye out for our other expert guides to sports betting with episodes being released throughout the summer here on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.